Christ. It won't make sense now, but just hang with me. I want to speak to you on this title, Four Inches from Mercy. Four Inches from Mercy. If you're going to help me preach, you can be seated. Why don't you give your neighbor a high five and let him know how good it is to see them today. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Four inches from mercy. All throughout Scripture, we see a constant stream of the mercy of God. It's a stream that is as deep as it is wide. It's a stream that covers our past. It's available to us in our present, and it follows us into the future. Deuteronomy 4 and 31 says this, simply put, for the Lord our God is a merciful God. Intrinsically woven into the nature of God is his mercy for his creation. In the Hebrew language, the word for mercy shares the exact same root word for womb. This depicts the reality that God's mercy towards us offers the same kind of divine protection that a baby has and the comfort of its mother's womb. It protects us, the mercy of God, from the punishment of sin. God's mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve. The mercy of God cannot be exhausted and the mercy of God can never be extinguished. That's why David, when he wrote the psalm, boldly proclaimed 26 times, his mercy endures forever. The mercy of God endures forever. That means there is no limitations to the mercy of God. You can't outrun the mercy of God. Jeremiah would say this in Lamentations. He would say that his mercy is renewed every morning. That, that means that you go to bed tonight and when you wake up, his mercy is there to meet you. That whatever you did tomorrow, mercy is going to meet you the next morning. You're never going to get to a place where the mercy of God says, oh, that's it, I'm done. But every morning you wake up, the mercy of God is there to meet you. And regardless of what happens, regardless if you trip, regardless if you fall, the mercy of God will be there for you. The mercy of God is not earned. Hear me today. There's nothing you can do to earn his mercy. The mercy of God can't be achieved, but rather it is freely given because of the goodness and the compassion of God. We see the mercy of God first on display in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they fell. But it continues as a thread until the book of Revelations with the taking away of the church. One of the places we can clearly see the mercy of God on display is the tabernacle, the plan that he gave to Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. The plan for the tabernacle when God spoke to Moses was a copy of what was in heaven. And when he spoke to Moses in Exodus 25 and 8, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them according to all that I show thee. After the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. God wanted a place where his presence would be in the midst of his people. They came out of slavery. They came out of the world. They came out of it. And God said, no longer am I going to be uh, apart from you, but I want to dwell amongst my people. But here's the problem. A holy God cannot dwell with an unholy people. 
And so he created a plan for an unholy people to approach a holy God. That's why every detail, every dimension, every design was to be exactly the way that God instructed Moses. Nothing was by accident. Nothing was left for human intellect. Nothing was meant for Moses to kind of say, this is my dramatic flair. But every detail, every instrument, every way that it was formed and fashioned was according to the specific plan of God. The tabernacle had three parts. Bear with me for a second. First, it had the outer courtyard. You would enter into the courtyard, and first you would see the brazen laver, or the brazen altar, if you will, where the sacrifices were made. Day and night, the priesthood would would perform burnt offerings. It was a messy place. It It was a place that I'm sure stunk and was dirty. After that was the brazen laver. It was where the priests would wash their hands. They would clean themselves. They would be able to see the reflection of themselves. And then from there, they would walk into the holy place. It's in the holy place that they would encounter the golden candlestick and the table of shewbread and the altar of incense. But beyond that place was the holy of holies. The holy of holies was where the Ark of the Covenant rested, which was also the manifest presence of God resided. No no one was allowed to enter into that room. You couldn't just walk in there whenever you would, but only it was reserved for one person on one day. The day of atonement. And that was the day when the high priest would come into the room. He would, he would walk in it. He would have to cleanse himself because if he walked into the presence of God with sin in himself, he would die instantly. And the priests would come in to the mercy seat where the ark was and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And it was the blood that activated God's mercy and that mercy would triumph over judgment And it would atone the sins of the people for that year. It was only good for a year. It would roll the sins over for a year until the priest would have to come and do it all again. Always their sin in the distance. Always, never, never totally, completely removed. But Hebrews writes this way. In the New Living Translation it says in Hebrews 9 and 23 it says, That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again ever since the world began. But now once for all time, he has appeared at the end of age to remove sins by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as the sacrifice to take the sins of the world. God robed himself. The creator of the universe said, hey, listen, that, that is only a temporary uh, action, but I will robe myself in flesh. Him who knew no sin put on humanity and came down to be the ultimate sacrifice for my sins he died because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the death on the cross we can have mercy that's why Peter could write in 1 Peter 1 and 18 
for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But he said this in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Aren't you thankful? <laughs> I think of that old singer who said, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank you God for saving me. That's why I think when we come to church, we should be the most grateful of all people. Because I knew what I was. I knew the trespasses and the sins that I committed. But when I came to an old Pentecostal altar and the blood of Jesus was applied to my life. Whew, scripture tells us this. This is what you deserved. It says, for the wages of sin is death. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There's no action so great that God will say, you're good. But no, the wages of sin, the penalty of your sin. I, I don't know about you, but in New Berlin, we don't have perfect people. I don't know about Rock Island. You all maybe you, you take a shower and the water just splits because you're like, whoo. You know, the only time we can walk on water is in the wintertime. Every other time we're falling through. We're not perfect. I, I would admit to you that you probably can't make it through the day without messing up. And scripture says the penalty for what you may do today is death. But I'm glad it doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God. Aren't you thankful for the gift of God? Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty said death. But the mercy of God said life. The penalty condemned us. But the mercy of God covered every sin. The penalty was the thing that judged. But it was the mercy of God that justified us. <laughs> David was right when he said it. I wonder if he got a revelation of what was to come. That God just peeled back a little bit of the curtain. And as David was penning his psalm in Psalm number 23 when he wrote, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Get that picture. You don't have to chase after mercy. You don't have to chase after the goodness of God. You don't have to get to a place in your sins where you're running after and say, God, no. He says, my goodness and my mercy follows you. So wherever you go, goodness and mercy is right behind you. No matter how far away you wander away, his mercy and his goodness is there to come right behind you. Because the moment you fall, it's mercy that says, get back up. The moment you stub yourself and, and you fall in the dirt and you're trespasses it's mercy that extends a hand and says no child don't stay down there mercy says get back up ha no matter your failure no matter your mistake no matter if it's the first time you messed up or it's the hundredth time no matter if it's the first time you relapsed or it's a constant continual cycle mercy follows you and is there for you
Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, said this. He said, for by grace are we saved through faith. And then out of yourselves, again, I want you to get this today. You, you may feel like you're independent. You're, you're self-made. You can do it all by yourself. But, but, but this is the one thing you can't do by yourself. You may have, outside of these walls, you may have made a life for yourself. You may have a career and you might have some plans and things that have unfolded. But I would also venture to say that every good thing comes from above. So, so really everything in life is because of him. But especially when it comes to salvation, you can't save yourself. It is a gift from God. Not of works. Not of your actions, lest any man would boast. It's by faith that we respond to mercy. See, I, I don't want to be a mercy abuser. I don't want to be a grace abuser. I don't want to be a person that just says, I'm going to do whatever I want because I know grace is there to pick me up. But mercy demands a response. He said, it's by, gra by grace you are saved through your faith. Paul would write to the young man Titus and he would say this, not by works of righteousness in Titus 3 and 5. Which we have done, but according to his mercies, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The mercy of God and the blood of Jesus offer the ability for us to respond to the fact that he has freely purchased salvation for us. I wonder if Paul was thinking back to the moment that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he... he was in a quandary, and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Titus said, the washing of regeneration, the water, and the renewing of the spirit, spirit. And it was on the day of Pentecost when the disciples had gone into an upper room, 120 of them, and the power of God came into that room and filled every one of them. And all of a sudden, the Jews began to wander around, and they said, these people are crazy. Peter stood up boldly after they said, what should we do? And he said, repent, every one of you, for the remission, or for, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Water and spirit. We, we respond by faith to the mercy of God by repenting of our sins. I know some of you might know this and, and you're saying move on. I, I get this already but let me just pause here. Repentance is realizing that what I'm doing that's wrong grieves the heart of God. It's not just simply coming to an altar and say, I'm sorry, with the intent of going out and doing it again. I remember being at a church service one day where, where, where a man got so fed up with his addiction to nicotine and he took out his cigarettes and he said, I'm done. He threw them at the altar. And we rejoiced with him and everyone was leaving by the end of the service and he slunk back up to the altar and grabbed him and put him back in his pocket. That's not repentance. Repentance isn't just saying, help me clear my conscience. 
It's not just saying, help me get rid of this feeling. No, repentance is changing the trajectory of your path. It's saying the things I'm doing right now grieve the heart of God, and so I'm going to take another direction, and I'm going to walk towards him. I'm going to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable unto him. It doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. It means that I'm going to make a concerted effort to to not go back to my old lifestyle, to not... Dig up the old man and, and that old spirit, the old things that I didn't know, but I'm going to walk in newness of life. And then he said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You say, well, maybe you're here today and you say, I've been baptized in the titles. He didn't say be baptized in titles. He said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name. The name of Jesus Christ. If, you, if you've taken a step today and maybe you've been baptized as an infant, you, you need to be rebaptized. We have biblical precedent for that in Acts chapter 19 when the disciples or the apostles of John encountered Paul. And he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we know not about this. We were baptized unto John. He said, no, 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 no. That, that, was, that, was, just for, that was just for a season. But there is a new way. And they respond with faith. See, understand this about faith. Your belief will always affect your behavior. Faith is not just a declaration. It's not just a statement. But if I have faith, my trajectory, my path, my behavior will change. So if I believe it today, the only logical thing is for me to do it. If I believe I need to be baptized in Jesus' name and I haven't, I need to respond today. And then he said... Receive the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in other tongues. Uh, Today, I would say if you haven't done this, you have an opportunity to do so. The Holy Ghost is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's God coming inside of you. I I remember about six or seven years ago, I got invited to preach at a a church of God in Christ. I had a a friend of mine who was, I was a a bank manager at the time, and, and he was my assistant uh, manager and we were talking and, and Thaddeus would always say to me, David, I want you to come and preach. And I, I would always say, okay, Thaddeus, uh, if there's ever an opportunity, I'd love to preach. And, and I knew doctrinally we had differences and I knew that probably would never happen. And, and one day Thaddeus came, Pastor Brown, to me very excited and he said, hey, listen, we're having, we're having a retreat and we got it approved. If you're able, you can come. And I said, Really? He said, yeah. He, I said, what's the weekend? He said, well, it's, it, it's the weekend, and he gave me the date, and I looked on the date, and that Sunday was, was the day of Pentecost. And I was like, Pentecost Sunday? Hmm. I was like, well, let me just say something to you. You know who I am. You know what I believe. We've had many conversations. You know that what I believe is different than what you believe. I said, I will only come if you let me preach what God tells me to preach. Thaddeus said, preach whatever you want. And so I was fasting leading up to that point, and, and I felt God say, I want to pour out my spirit upon those students. And I thought, okay. And so I was fasting, I was praying, and I was believing God, and we got to the event, and there was a couple speakers that would lead through the week, and I was the last speaker. And there was 100 students in that room. It was a tight little room. My wife was with me, just her and I. And I got up there not knowing anyone. And I asked at the beginning of the, uh, of the day, I said, how many of you have ever received the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in tongues? No one raised their hand. I thought, okay. God, you said you're going to do it. My flesh said, we need more people. 
It's only Angie and I. We can only cover so much ground. But I preached what God told me to preach. And at the end of the service, I said, if you want that spirit that I was talking about, I want you to come down. Every student came down. I thought, God, how are we going to do this? And so I said, here's what we need. If, if you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, you need to repent of your sins. So let's, let's, re, let's, do, let's repent together. How about that? We began to repent, and all of a sudden, one started speaking in tongues, and another started speaking in tongues. And I'm like, wait, we're not even done repenting. And I prayed a simple prayer of faith, and the power of God came into that room. And over 70 students were baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. No, tongues wasn't just reserved for the day of Pentecost, but he said, it's for all who will, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So you might be here today and say, I've heard about that. I want you to know that God has the gift of the Holy Ghost for you today. Under the mercies of God, I'm, I'm hurrying. Under the mercies of God, or in the mercy seat, there, there were three items. I'm sure you know it. We talked about it today in youth class. The golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the two stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments. And, and when we talk about these items that were contained within the Ark of the Com Covenant, we, we seem to sometimes look at them as a museum of, of the exploits of the Israelites. But, but if you stop and think about it long enough, the manna, the miraculous provision of God, Aaron's rod, the, the authority given to the people, the Ten Commandments, the law, if you, if you look at them individually, each one of them actually represents great failures of the Israelites. What do I mean by that? The golden pot of manna, yes, it was God's miraculous provision that they received but it came as a result of the people complaining against God, against Moses. What, what, you brought us out here in this wilderness to die? At least in Egypt we had meat. Give us, we're, we're sick, we need something. And God blesses the people with miraculous provision of manna. Yes, the rod of Aaron that budded, yes, it, it speaks to God's selection of leadership, but it came because Korah, Datham, and Abiram publicly spoke out against the man of God. I, I tell you today, be careful what you say in private against the man of God. Be careful that you don't lay your hand on God's anointed. He may not know what you're talking about behind closed doors, but God knows. There, there was a time when I was in prayer and I was, I was dealing with something at my church and I was thinking, God, how do I handle this? And God said, what happened? And he took me back to the wilderness. He said, what happened when the Israelites rose up against Moses? I said, Moses fell on his face. He said, there are battles that I've not called you to fight. Step aside and let me fight them for you. Be careful that you don't touch God's anointed because you're not messing with God, him. You're messing with God. And God will not allow that to take place. As a result of their stubbornness, as a result of them speaking out against Moses, God had the earth split apart and swallows them up. And the people begin to complain again. And almost 15,000 people are killed because of what Abiram, Datham, and Korah had done. Yes, God established Aaron, but that rod spoke to a mother of a child that died. 
Yes, we can look at the rod and say it's the authority, but, but there were some relatives that went, every time they saw the rod, if they would see it, they were brought back to a moment when their child was dead and killed because of complaining. It was a moment of failure. It was a moment when they rejected God's leadership. Under the Ten Commandments, yes, this speaks of the law given to the people by God, but, but if you think about it, these weren't the original Ten Commandments. These were the replacements. Because after God is through speaking with Moses and giving him the law, Moses comes down because he's interrupted. Because there's idolatry taking place at the bottom of the camp. And Aaron has relented to the people and has created a golden calf. And, and, and this people that had followed the one true God is now giving themselves to idolatry. And Moses throws the Ten Commandments and they break into pieces. And these Ten Commandments represent man's rejection of his standard of holiness. Under the mercy seat wasn't great feats of Israelites, but rather great failures. Yes, it spoke of God's power, but it also spoke of man's frailty. And the only place to put those failures, the only place that God could think to put those things was under the mercy of God. A, a place that only one person could enter one time a year and a place where no one could even lift it up. A, a place so, so hidden and so secret that no one could ever go back into the past and reach into it and say, look what happened. It, it, as a matter of fact, when, when the people of Beth Shemesh see the Ark of the Covenant and they try to open the lid, 50,000 of them are killed. God says, you're not going to pull up their past mistakes and failures. That's how the mercy of God acts in your life. When you fail, when you fall, it goes under the mercy of God. And scripture says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he thrown your transgressions. When we mess up, the mercy of God is there to cover us. When we relapse, the mercy of God is there to pick us up. Every failure, every mistake, every sin thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. There's no sin too great. There's no failure so big that the mercy of God cannot cover. Forever we are covered by the blood of Jesus, something that will never lose its power or effect. Why don't you stand with me all over the place? I have more, but I feel God wants to do something right now. It was the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. A place in which no man except the high priest on the day of atonement could enter. The, the veil was said to be a handbreadth in thickness. Or, or rather, four inches. So it was... Four inches separated the ministering priests from the mercy of God. Day after day they would enter the holy place but always be four inches away from the mercy and the presence of God. I'm sure there was wonder. I'm sure there was many questions about what it was like. But they could never pass through the four inches that separated them from the mercy of God. And on that day that Jesus would take his last breath dying to take away the sins of humanity, something so powerful would happen. Matthew records it in the 27th chapter in the 50th verse. He says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51 says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top 
to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. No, no longer was the mercy seat reserved for the audience of one, but now for all who will. No longer was it reserved only for one day of the year, but now it was a continuous place that we can go to day after day after day. And I wonder if Paul was thinking of this moment when he said in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 16th verse, let us therefore come boldly. Not cautiously, not with apprehension, not with doubt, but he said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. We don't have to come today and wonder if God will heal us. We don't have to come today and wonder if God will forgive us because we already know the answer and so we can come with boldness. Here's what I want to do. I want to know if, if you're here today if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, in a moment I want to invite you to come down to this altar. I want you not to come with doubt. I don't want you to come with apprehension. But I want you to come knowing that you're going to have an experience with God. It's in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is moving through the crowd and, and all of a sudden... A blind man cries out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus silences the crowd and says, what do you want? I want my eyesight. And Jesus says, because of your faith. Today, if you are battling an illness in your body, I want to invite you to come down as well. And, and so here's what we're going to do. If you need the Holy Ghost, if you maybe haven't spoken in tongues in a while, I want you to come over to this side. If you need a healing in your body, if you've been battling with a sickness, if there's some ailment that has been attacking you, I want you to come over to this side. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to come so here we are. If that represents you, I want to invite you to come down to this altar right now. If you need a healing over here to my left, if you need the Holy Ghost over here to my right, I would even say if you want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you can come over here to my right. I'll wait because I think we have an opportunity to have a powerful moment with God. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Right now is the appointed time. We have three young men that stepped forward that said they need the Holy Ghost. So here's what we're going to do. We need the mercy of God. And so before we go any further, we're going to repent together. And we're going to ask God to remove anything that would separate us from Him. All right? So I want all across this room, wherever you are, if you would lift your hands with me. And if we would ask God right now that He would... Forgive us of our sins. He said, confess your faults. Confess your sins, and he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Could you lift your voice, Jesus, right now? I thank you for your presence. I thank you for what you are about to do in this room. But, Lord, you know my frailty. Lord, you know my frame, God. 
Lord, you know the things that I have done, the things that I have said that have grieved your heart. Lord, maybe I have acted in a way, God, that didn't bring glory and honor to you, Lord, and for that I am sorry. I'm sorry for the way, Lord, I've acted. I'm sorry, Lord, for for pride. I'm sorry for anger. I'm sorry for lust, God. I'm sorry, God, if I have done anything that would separate me from you. Would you ask him to forgive you today? Jesus, please forgive me. God, I pray I need your mercy today. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the things that I've done. But, Lord, I'm making a decision today, Lord, that I'm moving past that, God. I'm abandoning that old way of life, God. So forgive me today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 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 In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I got a question for you. Did you ask God to forgive you? Did he forgive you? Amen. It's important that you believe that. And so here, let me give you just a a few items. I cannot give you the Holy Ghost. Your pastor cannot give you the Holy Ghost. It is a gift from God. But I found that it's important in how we approach him. We don't need to approach him in shame. We don't need to approach him in condemnation. We don't need to approach him in doubt. And, And so the best way to do that is not to crumple your head down, but it's to lift your head up. And I found that the, the universal sign of surrender is lifting your hands. It's the same thing a child does when she wants her mother or her father to pick her up. She lifts her hands. And so I want to invite you in a moment to lift your hands. But the third thing I want you to do is open your mouth. This is a moment where you can talk like I'm talking. Use your outside voice, if you will. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And when I say the word hallelujah, I want you to say hallelujah with me. And I want you to begin to open your mouth and praise God. And I believe the healing will come to your body. I believe the miraculous of being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost will happen. So I wonder if you can lift your hands all across this room. I invite the ministry to come behind some of these that need the Holy Ghost. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, by the authority of your word. By the power that is in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, God, that healing power would fall in this place. I pray right now, God, that, Lord, the Holy Ghost would be poured out in every person that will. Lord, I rebuke doubt. I rebuke fear. I rebuke, Lord, apprehension. And I pray right now that the Spirit of God would be poured out in this place. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. That's it. Begin to open your mouth. That's it. Begin to open your mouth. Let that out. It's not anything you can control. That's the spirit of God that you feel.